front. Iran elects a hardliner as its next president. Ibrahim Raisi won 62% of the vote in the lowest turnout in the history of the Islamic Republic. During his first press conference as president-elect, Raisi said he will not meet with Joe Biden. And he insists Iran's ballistic missile program and its support of regional militias like Hezbollah are non-negotiable. Here to provide us with some insights is Benham Ben Talablu. Mr. Talablu is senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Ben, it's good to see you again. So first, many Iranians boycotted this election because reformers, I, I, I guess if you can call them that, reformers were not allowed to run. So tell us about this hardliner president-elect. Why do we have reason to be concerned? Well, always a pleasure to be with you again. We have multiple reasons. You know, this selection rather than election of, of Raisi to become the Islamic Republic's next president uh, has more to do with Khamenei, which is the country's supreme leader and ultimate decider on foreign and security policy matters, and more about his preferences and more about him restructuring the already very hardline regime uh, and preparing it for what may come uh, should he no longer uh, be amongst us uh, in this world, you could say. So he's preparing for a post-Khamenei Islamic Republic. And having a hardliner at the helm like Raisi can guarantee that the Islamic Republic remains on this revolutionary trajectory uh, abroad and remains equally repressive, if not more repressive, uh, at home. Well, most human rights organizations are concerned about that 1988 massacre and Raisi's role in it. Seems most Iranians, though, are most concerned about joblessness, inflation, and a worsening economy. So, how bad is life in the Iranian Republic? Oh, life is, is not good in the Islamic Republic, especially if you are uh, part of the classes of folks uh, who have been protesting from 2017 to present. You know, there is actually a very neat tie in there uh, to the election, which is. One of the key themes of protests from 2017 to 2020 uh, was a rejection of not just one faction or one president or one party, but of the entire system. Uh, the Iranian people have been protesting rather aggressively now, kind of grabbing the third rail with two hands. And the one slogan they chanted is, reformists, principalists, the jig is up. So Khamenei understands that the jig is up, so he has no problem engaging in this hardline consolidation. But the net result, of course, is a massive chasm between state and society in Iran and the movement of folks from reform towards revolution. So what Khamenei may have thought that in the short run, this is something that could secure his regime. But in the long run, I think uh, this could be a critical juncture with the lens of history uh, looking backward. And Raisi has pledged to stamp out corruption and improve the economy. But that seems like an almost impossible task, doesn't it, when Iran and he himself are still under harsh U.S. sanctions? Your thoughts? Also, the fact that uh, Raisi himself was the head of a, a multi-billion dollar conglomerate that basically functioned as an off-the-record slush fund for the country's supreme leader. Many of these folks get into office in Iran, like former President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, a somewhat populist platform, uh, but in reality are involved in some of the greatest corruption schemes, embezzlement schemes in that country's uh, modern history. Um, so the Islamic Republic, in this sense, cannot reform itself. I think, I think its banking sector, its financial sector, its energy sector is dominated by the worst of the worst, and that's the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps influence, as well as the pervasive influence of its veterans in the economy and national politics. So these are more platitudes by Raisi, but ultimately this man is an agent of stasis, and that stasis is corruption. And renegotiation of the landmark 2015 nuclear deal, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, uh, continues in Vienna. 
Those involved in those talks with Iran, China, Russia, France, Germany, and Britain say they're nearing a deal. So Iran is now at 60%, the 60% level of uranium enrichment, and it won't be long before they have enough for a nuclear bomb. So how likely is it that this agreement will prevent that from happening, Ben? Well, if the Biden administration, along with the international partners that you mentioned here, actually spends all this time resurrecting this fatally flawed and fast expiring uh, nuclear-only deal, uh, then there is no guarantee at all, because this deal never really prevented Iran from getting a nuclear weapon anyway. It simply was a timeout uh, for some of Iran's most sensitive nuclear programs. And of course, now knowing what we know with the Israeli Atomic Archive, it didn't even pause the entire uh, Iranian program, because there is more undeclared sites, more undeclared facilities, more undeclared material than was previously known in 2015 or 2016. So there is very little strategic utility, in my view, in spending all this time, all this capital, resurrecting a deal that is so fatally flawed. And you can see the proof in the pudding. It's not just me telling you. The hard right flank in Iran that Raisi is from, uh, many of them actually covet this deal. Now, Raisi is talking about, at least during the presidential debates, he talked about being a better enforcer of the JCPOA. And his first press conference after getting elected, or after getting selected, I should say, uh, was about not extending it, not making it longer and stronger and broader like the Biden team wants. So in many ways, spending all this time, energy and capital, particularly while the Iranian people are suffering, and particularly when the regime feels so comfortable putting a mass murderer at the helm, uh, is not wise. So full steam ahead towards nuclear development. What might this new hardline president then and a potential renegotiated nuclear deal with Iran mean for Israel and the United States? Well, when it comes to the foreign and security policy, it's, it's really more a question of volume. It's not like he's going to be able to change the trajectory overnight, nor does he even intend to. But he can make a bad situation even worse. The Iranian Supreme Leader gives guidelines, goalposts, policy, end states, directions, and red lines. But really, there is a certain measure of latitude afforded to each president. Um, so you can probably expect to see a lot of the same regional escalation and a lot of the same regional worries that the U.S. force posture is going to have in places like Iraq, in places like the Persian Gulf, that the Israelis are going to have to continue to deal with this situation where the Iranians are trying to amass more and more militias and, and, and men uh, on uh, Israel's borders, north and south, of course, and arming them, training them, equipping them. So the situation, even from the non-nuclear perspective, uh, is not good in the short term. And, and even more cyber uh, warfare here. I understand that the Iran says the United States uh, acted to shut down some of their uh, news sites. Well, this may be uh, some good news in the world of deplatforming for those of us who are watching uh, the, the more digital space. Uh, there are entities, as you know, that take advantage of the fact that they have a dot-com uh, domain. Uh, the U.S. Uh, government has broad authority, of course, this, to rid some of these entities that may be uh, pressing for incitement or supporting terror or be connected to state sponsors of terrorism. Press TV is one good example uh, of a website that was recently removed uh, from the dot-com, according to the U recent uh, press release from the USG. Okay, Ben and Ben Talablu, Senior Fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Thank you for keeping Thank us you. informed and sharing your time and insights. Pleasure.